And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater, Community Conscious Radio. Hi, I'm Mary Glennie. And I'm Arlene Engelhart. And you are listening to From a Woman's Point of View. Well, the busy times continue, Mary, but at least some things seem to be happening in the right direction. We hope so, at least. Well, but I was just sorry to hear on the news that the head of the Navajo Nation died at 70 of COVID. And really sorry earlier this week to find out that Ann Feeney also passed uh, at 69 from COVID. Uh, Ann Feeney, who, you know, so many of you listeners are so aware of. uh, And we are particularly here at the women's show that she was here giving a concert uh, in, in our area. And so she spent the whole day on International Women's Day when we celebrated here in WM. And she gave a live concert uh, back in uh, live air, uh, our live music studio. And it was absolutely filled with union people. And they were outside watching in a glass. And they were even outside, you know, in the, outside in our parking lot. Because Anne was such a supporter of union rights. She fought hard. And so later on the show, we will be honoring her because I am just sorry you know, uh, I've, I've, I've talked to uh, Amanda Clinton, uh, you know, the Cherokee young woman, and she was saying that one of the problems with COVID, that they're losing so many of their elders, and with them is the loss of all that wisdom. And so many times it's also the connection to their language, because they are the ones that will be teaching the young kids uh, their language. And so in any, any nation, if you lose your language, you are desperately in trouble of losing your soul. And so, uh, anyway, uh, with that in mind, I'm really sorry with the loss of Anne. As I say, we will be honoring her later on in the show. Uh, but first, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking to Rebecca Gordon. And if anybody knows something about uh, problems, oh, Arlene, I can see you want to say something. Go ahead. Well, it wasn't related, but I did want to bring attention to one victory that was posted by. Uh, Nadine of Equality Florida. Oh yes, that's very important. Go ahead. And so she said, I'm so incredibly, so incredibly excited to announce one of the biggest victories in Equality Florida's history. We've officially secured statewide non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ Floridians in the workplace, housing, and public accommodations. You read that correctly. The LGBTQ community is protected from discrimination in every single part of our state. That is really, really good news. And uh, it's it's hard to imagine the battles, the constant battles. Uh, without those basic rights, there can be so much discrimination. One can be fired or worse. And so, uh, yeah, we, 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 we go, hopefully we go two steps forward, one step back, or sometimes it feels like it's the other way around. But the point is we keep battling in there. Okay, well, as I said, we're going to have Rebecca Gordon, and uh, she'll be with us, I hopefully, in not very long. And I'll be calling her, and then uh, we are going to give a tribute to Ann. And then we have the Super Bowl coming up, and some pretty important, uh, not only pre uh, the game, but pre-game ceremonies in which uh, the wonderful poet that has really caught America's attention, Amanda Gordon, is going to be doing an original poem. And she's going to be joined with Milk, M-I-L-C-K. Uh, 
Bay, uh, the lovely young Asian American, and they are going to be doing that in the pregame. So all kinds of things happening. So I'm going to put this music on right now for Anne Feeney. I think a song that so many people associate with her. And we will be coming back with Rebecca Gordon. Cesar Chavez, maybe it was Dorothy Day. Some will say Dr. King or Gandhi set them on their way. No matter who your mentors are, it's pretty plain to see. If you've been to jail for justice, you're in good company. Have you been to jail for justice? I want to shake your hand. Stays on the books till folks with guts defy it. Have you been to jail for justice? I want to shake your hand. Sitting in and lying down are ways to take a stand. Have you sung a song for freedom? Or march that picket line? Have you been to jail for justice? Oh, you're a friend of mine. Okay, I'm going to pod this music down because Ann Feeney would have definitely found a friend of hers uh, if uh, with our guest we have now, Rebecca Gordon. And uh, real quickly, I asked you if you were familiar with Ann, uh, but you would very much relate to her. She uh, worked with an awful lot of union organizing. Her grandfather was a big union organizer. And so uh, she really took it up. And uh, she's just been a fearless warrior for human rights and particularly labor rights. But uh, justice all the way around. And so I realize, Rebecca Gordon, you would really understand that. So, but I've got to introduce you because you're one of my favorite uh, people I talk to here. Aww. Well, yeah, no, you're in the philosophy department. I love philosophy, philosophers at the University of San Francisco. You're the author of American Nuremberg. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should understand, you know, who should stand trial for post 9-11 uh, and and previous books, Mainstreaming Torture, unfortunately, this has been a part of our history. Uh, but also then uh, the book, the article that I'm particularly, because you also wrote about uh, Nicaragua extensively. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, the article I'm particularly referring to right now, and I give with Tom's Dispatch, and if people aren't familiar with Tom Englehart's Dispatch, I would strongly recommend you uh, get on the mailing list because the authors they bring are outstanding. But the U.S. empire is crumbling before our eyes <laughs> with unprecedented economic inequality and uh, massive overspending on military operations. America looks a lot like 476 CE Rome. Well, I do hope you're wrong, Rebecca <laughs> Gordon. So but, do I. But I'm kind of worried that you might be spot on. And first of all, what, what, what audacity do you have to call America an empire, really? I, I mean, you know we're the do-gooders on the hill. 
Oh, yes. We are the do-gooders on the hill who spread our do-gooding tentacles around the entire globe. And the truth is that an empire is essentially the extension of a country beyond its borders in order to make economic and military use of other people's territory. And, you know, you could call imperialism, which comes from the same root, right, is the, the Encyclopedia Britannica calls it state policy practice or advocacy of extending power and dominion, especially by direct territorial acquisition or by gaining political and economic power, control of other areas. So the early history of the United States, the first 150 years, is essentially the history of our gradually acquiring dominion over almost all of the North American continent, apart from what we left to Canada and Mexico. So it starts in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase and goes on from there. But it goes beyond the continental borders of the United States. We still, to this day, own various territories, including Puerto Rico. We acquired Hawaii. We own Saipan and the Marshall Islands. Uh, Saipan is actually the home where the birthplace of one of my dearest friends. And we, in the post-World War II period, asked at the very time when the world was officially decolonizing and we saw independence movements all over the world, especially in Africa and in Asia, the United States maintained its control over those areas in what's come to be called neocolonialism. You don't have to actually go and occupy the land or send settlers there. All you need is a compliant elite of local people who are willing to use their own country as a route to riches for themselves and extraction of very cheap labor and natural, natural resources for the United States. And we see this all over Latin America. We see it in Indonesia. And, of course, the U.S. did take up the imperial mantle, if you will, from France in our disastrous attempt to um, exert control over the country of Vietnam. And that began, you know, the French were there in the 50s. We took over in the 60s. We definitively lost the war in 1975, and as my partner and I were saying this morning, we've also lost a similar war in the same place where the Soviet Union foundered, mm. and that's in Afghanistan. And, you know, so, Re yeah. Rebecca, because you know so much, <laughs> and, and I'm listening, and, and, you know, listening to it, it's almost like we're going around in a repetitive circle. And the last That's couple of weeks, true. yeah, the last couple of weeks I've had a, just a wonderful young Cherokee woman that I think you'd like to meet, Amanda Clinton. And, uh, you know, that, that I'm thinking, you know, of this country, uh, you know, and, and so many people, you know, well, first, the first ones that came over were really the second and third sons. And with primogeniture, mm -hmm. they couldn't right. inherit the estate in Europe or whatever. Right. So then they looked out for new lands to conquer and they come here and I think that a really important thing that I know Amanda and so many Native people really point out, you know, this was not an empty land. It was inhabited by millions of people. 
uh, you That's know, right. and, 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 you know, you kind of look, you know, uh, the, the original sin, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. why would you assume, even if later the ones that came, the Irish and some of the others who were, you know, economically depressed and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and their value when they first came here, actually, in the South, when they were digging the ditches with the yellow fever and the cholera, that actually they weren't as valuable as the slaves. And so they had the Irish men dig those ditches because the slaves were too valuable to do it. And, and so, you know, we, we have this in our history. And, and you know, I think that uh, thinking of Amanda, and, you know, and the desperate effort that they have to try and get their recognition and keep their culture, mm-hmm. keep their language. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. you, I think at the end of your article, you make the most important point that I think we really lo- need to look at. When do we stop trying to constantly acquire more, more land, more resources, more money, more whatever, because we know the more you have, the more powerful you are. And when exactly. And when is enough is enough? And is, is that what we have to do, uh, Dr. Gordon, Rebecca, uh, that we have to stop saying, wait a minute. We're going to stop this correlation between money and power and possession with power, control. And love and life. Yeah, and I think, I think that's where we as people have failed. Because, and we've been hammered down. Don't misunderstand me. But we've got to say, yeah. no, just because you're worth billions, it doesn't mean that I want you running my country. Exactly right. And... I think, you know, the logic of the system, the economic system we live in, capitalism, its logic is grow or die. And what we have to do is create a system whose logic is, as you say, enough, is what does it take for a sufficient number of human beings to live a good, secure, and adventurous life on a planet sharing it with the rest of the beings on that planet. And I think that this concept of having enough is a really important one because as long as we have this hunger for more, I remember in the, in the booms of the 1980s, there was a bumper sticker that people wore, put on their cars that said, whoever dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> and that's, that's it. You know, the idea that you would need so much wealth that you could never possibly actually enjoy it in your lifetime. I remember being confused even when I studied medieval history and certainly the early history of the United States. Why would a human being want to own more land than that person could ever actually even see in their lifetime? What what does it mean to own it? How can it possibly give you pleasure, joy, or or meaning? Right. Mm -hmm. This is this is, I think, what we need. And, you know, it's not as though there aren't models. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not as though there aren't societies that, you know, imperfect as they may be, actually provide sufficient for the people who live in those societies. They don't tend to be ones that want to go outside their borders and acquire more territory. And I'm thinking, for example, of, you know, the imperfect, but certainly much more livable countries like those of Scandinavia, you know, Denmark. I mean, they wouldn't even sell us Greenland. I, I know, um, was that? <laughs> go ahead. Nerve. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the, the years we've just been through wanting to buy Greenland? I, I, I mean, well, not yeah. only wanting to, but assuming that everything is for sale. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about, about your friend Amanda, one of the things that I talk about in my article is how with, for example, that first acquisition of territory, the Louisiana Purchase, this was land that France supposedly owned that included not only Louisiana and pieces of Alabama and Missouri and all the way north, actually up into pieces of Alberta, what's now Alberta and Canada. And what the U.S. bought from, from France was not actually that land, but was the right, if you will, the the, at least France wouldn't interfere with our desire to steal it from the, as you say, the people who were already living there. And so that was the beginning of, you know, that first sin. And then the second sin, of course, was deeply connected, and that's the sin of the enslavement of people from Africa. And the reason we wanted the Louisiana Purchase was because that was where it had been discovered you could grow cotton on an industrial scale, essentially using human beings as production engines and in a system that was driven by torture and which provided much needed hard currency from Europe by selling that cotton into the industrial industrial developments in Manchester and Leeds and England. We got this hard currency that the U.S., our currency was worth nothing in the, in the international world by selling this cotton that was produced by human beings on land that was stolen from the people who were already living there. It's not a pretty history. And until we come to terms with it, I think we are going to have a hard time wanting a country where people have enough. And but, you know... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and also I'm 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 really thinking, you know, that uh, that in a way, COVID has really exposed a lot to us. And if we, oh. I mean, really, I mean, here you have, uh, you know, the wealthiest nation in the world, and yet we have you know, with only about a little over four percent of the population. Yet we have twenty six percent of the cases and about the same number of the deaths. And we also somehow, somehow, I, I, and maybe it's part of our of our sense of a need for superiority. And and to me, you know, if you need to feel superior, it's because actually deep down, I think you feel inferior that you really don't have what it takes. And so you have to really puff yourself up and really, you know, try and strut around and impress people because deep down you have terrible insecurity. And and, and I'm thinking of COVID, and I'm thinking so many people think that we have by far the best medicine in the world you know that we are the best of the best and frankly and if we are the best of the best why do we have the highest number of cases and deaths and what does it say about our medical system has it become a totally for-profit you know that that is their basis and people and public health has just fallen into the wasteland I think that's a big part of it. And at the same time, I think that, you know, in addition to the technology of, of hospital, what hospitals can provide and vaccines and so forth, what we've seen is that the most important way of preventing the spread of COVID 
is for human beings as individuals to practice habits that protect all of us, that contribute to the common good. And part of what we've seen in the last four years, and certainly longer than that, is the creation of an ethos that says, any attempt to ask me to do something that would help a fellow human being, especially one I don't know, is an imposition on my personal liberty. So instead of believing that, you know, we are um, a country that, as the Constitution says, exists to promote the general welfare, we are convinced that I've got mine, Jack, and you're, you know, you're on your own to the extent that people are willing to put each other at tremendous risk, at risk of death. I mean, the other thing that COVID has, of course, uh, proven is, once again, it puts on show the incredible inequality based on race and class mm. in our medical system. The, the Guardian today had a story about how Native people in this country have died at twice the rate of white people from COVID in, you know, and that's not an accident. That's not because there's something wrong with Native people's biology. It's because of how the resources that are available have been unfairly distributed. And, you know, it's also, frankly, a lack of competence. I mean, the, the kind of death that we've seen from COVID in this country is partly a result of greed and the mess that our medical system is, but it's partly just blind, sorry, um, willfully ignorant incompetence that came from the top. And unfortunately, we're still seeing it here in California. We have no idea when we're going to be able to get vaccines. My my beloved Kaiser system, my HMO, put up on their website, basically, don't call us, we'll call you, because we don't have any vaccine to give you. And here we are in the most populous state in the nation. We can't get vaccines. It's crazy. And, and, and you know, and again, we're talking to Rebecca Gordon, and she teaches at the University of San Francisco Philosophy. And you can see lucky students. Yeah, I mean, we have the same problem here. Uh, and, 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 you know, that as, as it, 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 it's a lack of appalling leadership. But it isn't yeah. only just leadership at the top. I mean, here in, yeah. the, in the state of Florida, our leadership is sad, sadly lacking. And, 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 you have a rather odd governor. <laughs> oh, I, I tell you, Florida... We we, I, 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 sometimes, you know, I, I hear people joke that, well, you know, with global warming and, you know, the rising sea levels, that at least they're, we're going to lose Florida. And I thought, now, wait a minute, I live in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, it is. And when you have such appalling leadership and, and, you, and you easily make the correlation that if you want to be a leader, you've got to have a lot of money. And so to get a lot of money, you're probably going to be indebted, so to speak, to the big power brokers, the Koch brothers, the Adelsons, all these kind of people, because that's what the money power game is. And so then you get this utterly dysfunctional system. And and, and to me, it's so tragic because, you know, I I think the medical personnel, you know, the actual doctors and nurses that are treating the patients are so good and they're so dedicated. And to me, it's wonderful, but at the same time, tragic that one of the big things
things they learned is that if you put the patient on their stomach, they will breathe better. You know, yes. I mean, just very basic attention basic. to care. You know, how are they right. breathing? Well, if they're on their back, they're they're laboring, and and, and it's that. And and I know the people are there. And the point is, we really, it's just so important that we really look right now because our system is lying there. And as you said, the mm-hmm. empire is crumbling. And to me, it was appalling. I think it was in your, not maybe not in that article, but in some of the other articles you've written, that, you know, the amount of money that 651 billionaires have made, uh, 1.1 trillion is more than we did on the first relief package. And yet we've right. got members in Congress who are fighting tooth and nail that, oh, we can't spend this money. We can't give them $2,000. And I mean, they should just look at that and say, what? What, can, what do you call that? And you call it, very wisely, corruption. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I want to say something about, about leadership because I think we have a counterexample that we have just seen in the state of Georgia. And that is the work of a true leader, Stacey Abrams. Oh, absolutely. For 10 years, she has dug in and done the work to make it possible to change who's in the Senate of the United States. And I just want to give a little shout out to Unite Here, the uh, hospitality industry union with whom I worked for three months in Reno this fall on a door-to-door campaign. These were out-of-work cooks, caterers, casino workers, six days a week, in mass, going door-to-door, talking about why it mattered to them personally to get Donald Trump out of office and get Biden and Harris elected. And those same people, a thousand of them, were on the ground in Georgia most recently doing the same thing. My partner spent many, many hours training people to use the phones to call into Georgia. And we did it. We changed who's in the Senate from Georgia And so I think we have examples of leadership that are patient, that are slow, but that are willing to build real movements rather than just work from the money that comes from big money. And sure, there's money that goes into helping Stacey Abrams do what she's doing and helping, you know, the new Georgia project do what it's doing. But this is the kind of leadership that we need. Jan and I, my partner and I, used to say to each other, we don't know who she is, but our leader is right now an eight-year-old girl in Uganda, meaning that Mm -hmm. we believe that the leadership that's going to come from people who are younger than we are, from people who are outside the corridors of power, is going to be the leadership that's going to help us build a world for human beings. And I have to say... Even though things are very, very, very bleak, this is in some ways the most hopeful I've felt in many years. And a large part of that is because of the rising up of young people in a way I haven't seen since I was a young person in the 1960s. It's, it's very encouraging and exciting to me.
Yeah, and and again, we're talking to Rebecca, Rebecca Gordon, and 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 you know, I, I think particularly as women, you know, that I learned mm-hmm. a long time ago that there are a lot of things that I wanted, but I wasn't going to be able to really do in my lifetime because I was going to run out of time. But you learn to play yep. it forward, so the next yep. generation or the generation after that would have that available because you realize that they also were going to need to play it forward, and and I think that yep. I think that's why so it's so essential that women are involved in leadership roles now and why I'm so thrilled to have Kamala Harris but as you said yeah. Stacey Abrams I mean is almost a role model mm-hmm. and I know it's really early in the process but she is, uh, she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize but, mm-hmm. but at mm-hmm. this stage there have been some others that have been nominated that you realize it's got a long ways to go but it, oh, is, yeah. but it is about that playing it forward yeah. and, 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 and also you know as we started, Counter Rebecca, you know that if you look upon life as a closed circle and everything mm-hmm. is limited, then you see everybody else as a threat that they're going to get more than you, That's and right. you might be totally out of it. Rather than thinking that nature has thousands of ways to do just about everything, and we don't begin to know. And so, if you if you allow yourself to be in that tight circle, you're never going to look up and think, "Oh, wow, look at that." We can do this. And I mean, yeah. it, it's a totally different approach. It doesn't matter if you fail. As long as you uh-huh. did good work, somebody can think, oh, okay, I'm going to take a slightly different attitude. And I think this could work. And it just might. I mean, in other words, life to me is uh-huh. open and just full of and, and just unlimited possibilities. And, 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 and COVID, hopefully, and climate change, which has said, I don't need you, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> this, is, this, uh-huh. this is the conditions you have created. And so if you're not part of the scheme, that's your problem. You're the other ones that have done it or haven't done it. And so, or haven't done it, yeah. And, 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 I, and I agree. I think the young people are up to it and, and uh, you know, that we, we can help them in every way we can. But this is actually a time of real opportunity. I think you're right. I think it's a time, you know, when COVID first started. And um, I think this was the last class that I held in person last spring before we had to go to the Zoom. My students were talking about how when this is over, they were assuming it would be over someday. When this is over... Things can't go back to normal the way they were before. We have to think about doing things differently. And this is my young students saying this, that this is a moment when we can and should and have to reexamine how we do everything because the way we're doing it now is not working. Um, you know, I'm reminded by what you were saying of a conversation I had, God, in 1984 in Nicaragua in a little town called Ocotal. I was talking with a woman who was, the, she was 21 years old. She was a mother and she was a soldier and she was responsible for all of the army communications in the war against the Contra in Nicaragua in her little region, her part of, of the country. And I remember her looking at me and saying, If I die, it doesn't matter because somebody will come after me who will love this revolution the way that I do. And it was a sense that she had of being part of something 
that was bigger than she was and that, you know, it was a joy to be part of, but that she was a drop of. Now we won't talk about what's happened to that revolution since because it just breaks my heart. But Yeah, and there's a reason though that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, that's what we as this country need to reckon with. That's right. That's absolutely right. And but I think that this idea is Bernice Johnson Reagan, who founded Sweet Honey in the Rock and was an amazing is an amazing organizer. She used to say, you know, if you're doing really good work, but you stopped it tomorrow, and whatever you're doing would stop with you, then you haven't done anything. You haven't built anything unless you have brought people along who can pick up the work when you're gone. And I just think that is so true. And, you know, that's what... And I, 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 I hate to do this, but I'm looking at the clock. And, and you know, it, with, with Bernice Johnson Reagan, I'm also thinking of AOC and yeah. the horrible day January 6th when she said the very same thing that because she thought she was going to die. That that's if that's this, exactly right. Exactly what she said. But, okay, I guess that's what, that was what was writ for me. And others will carry on the work. And, and so... Hey. Anyway, I, I hate to say goodbye, Rebecca Gordon, but about anyway, we will we will, we will resume this conversation in the future because you continue to do fabulous writing, and you can catch her particularly you can catch her on Tom's Dispatch and people you want to become familiar with that. You've got some great writers. Rebecca Gordon yeah. is one of them. And Rebecca, thanks so much for giving us all this time. Larry, always a joy. And, and you. you just keep up the great work, okay? You too. And Bye-bye. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. And Arlene, did you want to say something? I was just uh, agreeing with what she had said and thought it was wonderful. And since you've turned it over to me, I'll add this. You no longer need a radio to listen to WMNF. Of course, you can still hear us at 88.5 FM. You can also stream WMNF at WMNF.org, listen to the WMNF app, or tell your smart speaker to play WMNF. And so much going on. The loss of Ann Feeney, the loss of the head of the Navajo Nation, uh, the people that are so suffering in this country and need some help, uh, the need to pass uh, sustenance as part of the bill that's working its way, hopefully, through Congress right now or today. And... But, you know, I, I particularly, I want to thank WMNF, the listeners. I mean, only the kind of radio station that you support. Could we hear a person like Rebecca Gordon? And she has so much to say. She has so much experience. And if you didn't support this radio station, if you weren't, if you didn't create such a fabulous community here, uh, we wouldn't have that. And it's all so essential, and I, and I really want to thank you, because to me, every one of you are always playing it forward. We're always playing it forward, as the Native people would say, for the seventh generation down the line. And so thank you, thank you. And so we're... And we've been fortunate to have people like the original founders, people that went out door to door yeah. like Rob did, um, people that have stuck with this radio station from the beginning, I know... Rob, Cam, Jeannie Holton, and many, many others have been here 
and we thank you all for all you've done. And so I'm going to put this on uh, by uh, Ann Feeney because I can play. I've got three of her albums, and she is just fabulous. And then Arlene, let's just tell people a little bit about her because she hasn't been back here for a while. So let me put this on, and then I'll uh, pot it down after just a bit, and then you can give us a little more background, okay? first time that I saw her, we had just moved to Tampa, maybe a year or two before, and we read about a folk, an art festival up in Palm Harbor, and we went up to the art festival, and one of the musical persons performing was Ann Feeney, and I had never heard her before that, and it really was an enlightening experience, got to talk to her a little bit, and over the years, she also became a friend of WMNF, and as you mentioned earlier, spent almost a whole day with us on one International Women's Day. Her daughter, Anne, Amy Sue Berlin, shared the news in a Facebook post last night, writing in part, it is with a very heavy heart that we must announce the passing of our courageous, brilliant, beautiful mother, Anne Feeney. We were very lucky that she fought hard enough to open up her eyes and give us a couple days to be with her before she finally decided it was time to let go. Oh, I know Anne would have fought tooth and nail. That's for sure. And as you mentioned earlier, her inspiration came from her grandfather, a mine workers union organizer and a violinist. In 1967, while still in high school, she bought a Martin guitar and did her first public performance. She was arrested at the Republican National Convention in Miami in 1972, <laughs> protesting the nomination of President Richard Nixon. Also in 1972, while at the University of Pittsburgh, she co-founded Pittsburgh Action Against Rape. She graduated from the Pitt School of Law, and in 1991, she hit the road hard, traveling around the country to perform at folk festivals, labor conventions, and rallies, including the WTO demonstrations in Seattle, Solidarity Day in Washington, D.C., and the 2004 March for Women's Lives. Her business card read, Performer, Producer, Hellraiser. <laughs> 
1992, she delivered her debut album, Look to the Left. Her subsequent albums mixed original and traditional songs and blended folk, pop, Irish, and bluegrass, including Union Made, Have You Been to Jail for Justice, and Dump the Bosses Off Your Back. Her songs were recorded by Peter, Paul, and Mary, and she shared stages with such legends as Pete Seeger, Billy Bragg, and Loretta Lynn. She was always working with and about dissent. Her career was put on hold in 2010 when she was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer. Three years later, it was in remission. To help her during the downtime, Berlin, that's her daughter, a folk singer herself, curated the benefit tribute album to her mom, War on the Weakers, Workers, which featured Peter Yarrow, Holly Near, Dan Byrne, Anti-Flag, Emma's Revolution, and more during doing political protest songs. Mr. Yarrow stated in the liner notes, For decades I've held Anne in great esteem for her determined heart, her passionate commitment to justice, and the way she's lived the messages of the folk tradition, just as Peter, Paul, and Mary did, putting her life and her presence out there to speak about and sing about what needs to be shared. Anti-flag frontman Justin Sane said upon the release of her album, I had seen artists include politics in their show before, but Anne Feeney was the first artist I encountered whose set was unapologetically and ferociously political. That set had a major impact on me as an artist. I remember thinking to myself, this is the kind of woman I want to be. This woman is punk as hell, and she still <laughs> is. Her friend and, hand, and bandmate Rick Lacey posted Wednesday night that he met Feeney in 1968 when she was, he was 18 and she was 16. They giggled together, and he became her bassist in 1990. I had no idea, he wrote, she had gotten so well known in the interim. My first job with her was at Penn State in front of close to a thousand people. I had just heard her songs and was playing a totally unfamiliar instrument, but it worked out okay. <laughs> According to Amy Berlin's Facebook posts, Feeney was living in a senior care facility where she suffered a fractured vertebrae that sent her to a nursing facility. She was diagnosed with a COVID-related pneumonia in late January. In a 2008 interview, Feeney told the Post-Gazette, I think music is a fantastic way of empowering people and giving them strength and energy. I've spent a good part of my life trying to find and write music that will empower people to resist and stand up for what's right. And we thank particularly her daughter and Scott Mervis of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette for information that I gave. You know, I think one of the great strengths of WMNF is our combination of fabulous music. We have so many programmers here who love music. They make music, many of them themselves, and the public affairs. And uh, again, uh, such a loss. And Feeney, but what a repertoire she's left. And this is one of her songs. Let's give a listen.
war on child labor protection. It's a war on the eight-hour day. It's a war on occupational health and safety. It's a war on social security. Now thanks to WTO, GATT, NAFTA, MAI, the IMF, and the World Bank, it's a worldwide war. Oh, it's a war on the workers. All I know is that if God doesn't have heaven unionized, he better get ready because he's going to have a, a genuine hellraiser come up. So Ann Feeney, um, rest in peace. I know she won't. Uh, but we have a Super Bowl coming up. Arlene, you look like you wanted to say something, did you? Okay. We have a Super Bowl coming up. And uh, actually, there are many aspects of the Super Bowl that I really want to call your attention to. And I'm really excited that they put aside so many tickets actually for so many health care workers and first care responders I think that is just great that they will have a chance to go and enjoy the Super Bowl and uh, there's also there's going to be a lot of first for women in this Super Bowl we have Sarah Thomas and she's going to be the first time that one of the, the referees in a Super Bowl is going to be a woman and uh, she's a pretty fabulous person herself uh, that actually uh, she's from Mississippi and she went to a very small school and she was on their their school basketball team was so small that she was on the basketball team uh, then when she graduated and got part of a church league they kicked her out because she was a woman but that was never going to cook her out and so among many other things when she was refereeing a game uh, you know that we know the you know the, with football that the the power of those men and their tackles uh sometimes i almost feel guilty watching it because i so worry that these are grievous injuries anyway she got hit when uh you know a receiver caught a ball and he was tackling went out of bounds bang ran into her and she suffered a fractured two bones in her wrist she also had to go under concussion protocol but she passed that so she came out and finished the game with her broken wrist and all uh, but, uh, you know, that I'm glad to see the kind of opportunities uh, for women if they want to, you know, be referees and umpires, etc. Uh, because sports, uh, sports is such a wonderful opportunity. And with uh, Rebecca Gordon that we just talked to, Rebecca's been involved in an awful lot of areas. And uh, she was saying that she's very worried because uh, where she lives, there was a school actually where some immigrants were staying as families and the kids went to school there and they also they paid to a latino woman and they came and they made the meals and that funding has stopped and so she's worried she's worried about what's happened to all of them those kids their families and she also sees the huge lines of people waiting to get covid testing and she's also worried about well if they get tested will they be able to afford to be treated you know what what will be available and so uh all kinds of things but uh also i think it's really important that the pregame i don't usually watch the pregame but i'll surely watch it this year uh because actually part of the pregame amanda gorman you know the fantastic young poet uh you know who really captured our imagination at the inauguration that she has been asked to write an original poem uh for the super bowl for the super bowl but particularly honoring you know the kind of health 
health workers, but particularly they have three honorary captains they're going to have, uh, you know, for the Super Bowl. And one is a nurse right here in Tampa, Susie Dorman. Another is an educator. Tremani Davis, and then a veteran, uh, James Martin. And so she and Milk, you know, the really wonderful uh, Asian-American songwriter, et cetera, who, uh, is, who, who wrote, among many other things, uh, Somebody's Beloved, uh, are going to be performing. And so it should be really pretty special. And so I'm going to put this on, actually, uh, that uh, Milk and uh, Amanda Gorman got got together and that they actually performed as part of the Kellogg Foundation's annual racial healing. And so let's give a listen to what they did then. Racial healing is incredibly important, especially right now, because no one benefits from a system of inequality. It plagues and curses and affects us all. And now more than ever, we have the opportunity to reconcile with our past racism and imagine a multiracial democracy where everyone has equal chances. I think that a lot of the pain that is projected onto people different from us is a reflection of the pain that we have within ourselves. So um, racial healing would mean internal healing as well. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to join and learn from activists and social change artists who want to bring a better world into existence. She was somebody's daughter, somebody's friend, someone who built her dreams with every breath whom others could depend. More than a number, more than a story, more than a memory, somebody's friend, somebody's daughter, somebody's beloved. Somebody's father 
Somebody's son Someone who dreamt of seeing his daughter Grow taller and fall in love More than a number, more than a story More than a memory Somebody's son, somebody's father Somebody's beloved Listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota Clearwater, Community Conscious Radio. Stay tuned for the news. Just keep it here all day. For anyone listening, (laughs) say his name.